Actually, we're going to be in Romans 2. Romans chapter 2. Um, while you're turning there, just a couple announcements for the folks online and in case they're not here at 1045 to hear the announcements um, and so forth. Actually, you know what? You need to be here at 1045. Let's just do it then. Okay? All right. Romans chapter number 2, if you will. We've, we ended chapter 1 last week. We got down through... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the chapter, and we cleaned up some things. And uh, we're, we're, Romans is set in the courtroom. And the courtroom, the prosecuting attorney, the Apostle Paul, has presented the case, the charges, uh, in, in here to, uh, in chapter 1, about the issue there that really humanity is worthy of, of wrath. Humanity is worthy of judgment. The, um, the, the issues have been shown that man has willfully rejected the testimony of God, has willfully decided to take God and make themselves their own God. So he, now we come into chapter 2 and in chapter 3, and really what we begin to do now is the defense begins to make its case. The state has prosecuted the case. They have laid out the charge. Now, in each of the defense's arguments, the Apostle Paul is going to rise and rebuke, give a rebuttal and so forth. And uh, we, he, again, Paul has clearly laid the case out that man is worthy of judgment. And now God says to the defense, what say you? Now he says to humanity, what do you say? And, and again, I, I said it a couple weeks ago, God is a gentleman. In other words, he will let you have what you want. And he's, a fair, he's fair, he's just. He, 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 he will look at you and he will listen to you. He will hear you out. He tells Israel in Isaiah Come and let us reason together. He tells you and I in Romans 12 about our reasonable service. So he, he's a fair God. He's a just God. He, he, he's not going to just arbitrarily cut you off. So the defense is going to stand now, and they're going to begin to argue against Paul, the Apostle Paul, and they're going to begin to argue against the charges that are going to be laid here out. And as, he, as they begin to now lay out their, their rebuttal, their defense, Paul then is going to, again, rebu uh, rebuke them or, or deal with them. <laughs> it's rebuttal is the word I'm trying to say. He's going to have a rebuttal argument. And, and honestly, in Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul is anticipating, obviously the Holy Spirit writes it, and human nature is very, very, very predictable. It's been, it's been set in order since Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve stand there in Genesis 3, and God says, you know, Adam, where are you? And by the way, it's Mr. and Mrs. Adam. He calls them Adam, the verse says. You know, everybody hyphenate names and all this stuff. No, they're called Adam. So where are you at, Adam? And they hide themselves. And then he finally gets Adam and he says, who told you this? 
who told you you were naked, who gave you this bad information, who, who's the one that came in here and polluted your information. Then he says, well, you know what? I wouldn't have sinned except for the woman you gave me. And instantly you see the defense mechanism of passing the buck, moving it. Because then what does Eve say? The devil made me do it. And if you hadn't created the devil, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in. So, in, so human nature, a great study of human nature is 1 Kings and 2 Kings, where, where, they, where Saul is involved and all that's going on. Great study about human nature and, and how, how, how it is. So now, here in Romans, Paul is for you and I. Here is what humanity is going to do, what they're going to say. And he knows how the defense will respond. He's anticipating how the, the, the defense is going to respond. So he gives the arguments to that. And, and you know the old thing about a, a good lawyer never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. Okay? So Paul already knows the answers. He already knows the questions. So he gives the answers. And he knows how to deal with the defense's response. Now, in chapter 1 and 2, and in the first part of 3, the guilty verdict has not been laid out yet. If you come over to chapter 3, okay, chapter 3. So, he's, we're going to see the various defenses. This morning, we're just going to give you a, an overview of the defense's strategy, okay? And then next week, we'll get into the chapter 2. But I just give you an overview of the defense's strategy, what the courtroom looks like. And again, if you think, of, I, I, I read uh, Newell's book on Romans, commentary on Romans, and he talks about a courtroom, and I like that because he's prosecuting the case. This isn't just him standing there saying, man's man, man guilty, 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 and here's what man's going to do. He's prosecuting the case. If, if you look over... <clears throat> You're in chapter 3, verse 4. He says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, and every man, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou, talking about God, mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now, he quotes out of Psalms when he quotes that quote comes from, and, but yet Paul rearranges it a little bit, to make the point here of, look, man's going to stand and judge God. So in chapter 3, if you look over in chapter 3, if you look at verse 26, he says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be, what? Just. See, the whole point here is going to be that God is just in what he's doing. And the justifier. In other words, he is going to sit as judge and be just, be fair, be equitable in his judgment in the pronouncement that's going to come here in chapter 3, verse 19. Here's where the judge says man is guilty. He doesn't say it in chapter 1. We're laying in the charges. When the defense rises in chapter 2, gives a defense... The judge, then Paul stands up and says, Your Honor, you know, they get done, prosecution, anything to say. He goes, Yep, and up he comes and nails them down again. 
All right, chapter two, there's like three of them in chapter, up he comes and Paul, up he goes and boom. Why? Because God is a fair God. He's going to hear everybody out. There is nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. So man's not going to come up with a new plug and saying, yeah, but you forgot this one. He's going to go, no, it falls under that category and you're guilty. 319, the pronouncement of guilt here. And again, God is willing to listen to man. But yet there comes a time. And there is a point in time when God says, enough. In verse 19, now we know that what, so, what things soever the law saith, saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. We would say shut up. <laughs> enough. You need to shut up now. And all the world may become guilty before God. Romans 3.19, that's where we're at. There's the pronouncement of guilt. God has listened to man. He has listened to man's arguments. You know, the blah, 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 blah. I think about uh, the peanuts and the teacher. You know, you know, just running off at the mouth. You know, the Lord tells the disciples, don't pray like the heathen in their vain repetitions. See? That's just what man does. And eventually God says, as any dad would say to a nagging child, shut up. I'm going to get you. You know? And he, he doesn't say it like that. He, he says, enough. Be quiet. Man has been self-justifying himself. He's played the victim card. He has shifted the blame. He comes along and says, well, if you didn't do what you did, I wouldn't have had to do what I did. And God says, enough. Stop. If you would listen to me, I will tell you that I'm not here to condemn you. Rather, I'm here with an answer for your problem. But man won't listen to God. They just why? Because they're going to worship the creature more than the Creator. Back to chapter one. See, God is sitting there, going, He's heard them out, and He says, "Okay, counsel, come to the bar, come to the, approach the bench." And he and the man just won't shut up, and he finally says, "Look, you need to be quiet now." Because I have an answer for the charges if you'll just hear me out. And man won't. So he puts them back in their places and he pronounces man guilty. And then in walks his son and says, Your Honor, can I approach the bench? And instead of throwing the book at them, put it on me. And he goes to Calvary. But see, what man should be looking for, what man should have done was shut up. Listen to God, obey God, but they don't. They just flap at the gums. And rather, the God here, he's not wiping man off the earth again. He did that once, promised never to do it again with flooding, with the flood. But the thing is, is man just won't get out of the way of themselves. God says, I've got an answer for you. The answer is my son. The answer is Calvary. But you don't want that. Come back to chapter 2. 
So the defense takes, it's the, it's the defense's time to one. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Paul starts here, O man. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. That's kind of like when God looks at Job and says, stand up here like a man. In other words, he isn't talking about, he's, he, God's telling Job, you need to think like a man would think here now. Paul is doing the same thing. We're adults here. We're not babies. We're not children. We're up here in adult world now. And let's deal with the, let's deal with the issue that's at hand. And that core issue, honestly, is the judgment of God. If you look back up at verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, chapter 2, verse 2, but we are such that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. The, the judgment, verse 3, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Verse 5, against the end of that verse, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Four times the core issue now is the judgment of God. Not that humanity is a sinner. We've proven that. Now we've got to answer this question of the judgment against that sin issue. So we're going to have some procedures in the courtroom. We're going to have some things that are going to come up here now. And, and I, I, you know, in the criminal case, you have a procedures. You have, the, you have the crime. Then you have the police investigate it. They present the case to the district attorney. The DA then decides whether to prosecute it or not. In this case, we're prosecuting. So we have the arraignment. That was chapter 1, 18 to 32, was the arraignment. Here are the charges that are laid out. Now the defense and the, and the evidential procedures and all that come into play. So instantly now you have some very simple rules of the court that Paul's going to lay out here. The first rule, the first issue is the issue of truth. Look at verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. But we are such that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth. When, God's, when God judges, it's going to be on the basis of truth. It's not going to be on the basis of the best lawyer. Because we all know if you've got the best lawyer, you're going to win. You know, the rich always have the best, so they always win kind of idea. It isn't going to be based on that. It's going to be based on the one, on the main problem that man has, and that's absolute truth. If you look around today, people hate the issue of absolute truth. They, 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 they come up with the mechanisms of relative, relative truth. It's all, truth is what you make it out to be, you know. Truth, you know we, we were talking uh, Wednesday night, and I've been watching you know, the conspiracy theory stuff, you know. And I'll be honest with you, as a believer, you shouldn't get sucked into that stuff because it's not what? It's not true. What's truth? Right here. This is what's true. 
yeah, but Rick, what about that? I understand that. I'm with you. I love them. I enjoy them, okay? But what is truth? This right here. You know what's truth? It's appointed unto man once to die. Then the what? Then the judgment. That's true right there. Now, how you die is going to be, you know, I was reading something. I'm going to do a message here probably uh, in, the, in the next week or so about mask. Do you know that there's a thing going around right now that's gaining a little momentum? That the mask that you got to wear to go and buy and sell is the new mark of the beast? You started that. Okay, I got the starter right back there. Okay, see, you see how, not, how far-fetched some of this can go? Because if you don't have a mask on, you can't go into some grocery stores now. You know, they shot and killed a couple guys, a couple security guards back east over fights over masks. That's how, you know, that's how people are going to respond. You, you okay? And I'm sitting there going, and I'm reading a little ditty about the mask or the new mark of the beast and revelation. And I'm like going, you know, when, I, when you look at revelation, the mark of the beast is not a mask. It's a spot. It's a mark. You know, and when you, when you watch the marks in the Bible, God marked Cain. That's not a mask. It's a mark. By the way, in Revelation, God marks his people, writes his name in their forehead. He marks them. You and I are to mark and avoid. That's an identification. You know, but anyway, I, I'm not talking about that. We're talking about Romans. But the, the first rule is we're going to go based on truth. Why? Because that's where God operates, is on absolute, eternally fixed truth. So that's what we're going to go on. The, the, the next rule, rule number two, look down there at verse number three. Verse number three. And think is this... Thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. The, the, the other issue about the judgment of God is it's inevitable. It's coming. You're not going to escape it. Again, it's appointed unto man what? Once to die, then the judgment. You're not going to get rid of it. And uh, did I spell it right? I think I did. If you can read it. All right. <clears throat> so you've got truth. You've got it's going to be inevitable. The third one is it's going to be a, down in verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. It's going to be, um, it's going to accumulate, accumulative. Treasureth up. You're going to keep piling it on. You know, it's interesting. When I was shop, uh, working for Bashes, I was a shoplifter, shoplifting agent, loss prevention agent. And you'd catch a shoplifting, and at the time, anything over 250 bucks, the police would come, and it became a misdemeanor, the lowest thing and everything. But they would use, on one case, I actually had to go to court, because they used my shoplifting charge 
to get into everything else that this guy had done. They used me as a gateway into actually a couple felonies, it turned out, in, in the end to be. You know what they did? The charge was shoplifting. And it did what? It just, more counts got piled on. It isn't just one account, one count, it's multiple counts. It's a, it's a piling, it, they just keep piling on. They don't just say he's guilty of murder, it's murder and all this other stuff, then they just lay it in on them. So it's accumulative, it's going to keep going. The next one. is it's equitable. Verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's fairness. Every man. God is, he, he, he's going to deal with this equitably. Fairness, equal. Well, wait a minute. My grandmother was a nice old little old lady and she didn't do anything. Yeah, but she was still a sinner. She didn't have Christ. Well, I was a Boy Scout. I helped them. I did. Yeah, but you didn't have Christ. The answer. Now, there are different degrees of punishment, but they're still what? Punished. Equitable. Verse 11. The, the next one. Number five. You, you with me? These are just the rules. We're just, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to have, we're going to go based on truth. The judgment will, event, will, it'll get here. It's going to be accumulative. We're going to pile them on. We're going to get all the counts on there. It's going to be equitable across the board. And it's going to be impartial. In other words, verse number 11. For there is no respecter of persons with God. <laughs> Wait a minute, sir. Wait a minute, judge. If I slip you this little cash box over here, will that get it done? Wait a minute, your honor. Don't you remember our conversation in the back alley? Ain't going to happen. God's not for sale. He's going to deal with everybody equally. He's going to be impartial. Then the number next, number six, drop down to verse 16. This one is intensive. Right? Yeah, I added that other one. Intensive. Verse number 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God's going to reveal the secrets of men. That's intense. You can't hide anything. You know, you're over there doing something you shouldn't be doing. No one knows it but who? You and God. Wait a minute, they'll never, they will never know that I, ha I did this. Nobody knows it. It'll go to the grave. I was watching a movie last night, and 
the main character, I, I did time for you and I kept your secrets. He ended up dead anyway, but in the movie. No, all the secrets are going to be revealed. Then there's a seventh one. And I had to look up, make sure I spelled this one right. Incendiary. D-I-A-R? I-A-R. Oops, I. And that's the issue back up in verse number 8. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, notice, indignation and wrath. Verse 9, tribulation and anguish. It's incendiary. Isaiah 66 over there. When Isaiah looks down in that pit at the end of that, and at the end of that chapter, verse 24, he looks down and he sees man's soul as a, as a worm and a fire that is not quenched. Where the fire is not quenched and the worm die. I mean, he just... What, notice verse 9, carefully. Tribulation and anguish upon every, notice, soul of man that doeth evil. Every soul, this is internal, it's eternal, internal and eternal. Because the judgment, the court, the room is going to be set because this is something that's eternal. And the judgment is against the soul of man. Come over to Luke 18. Just kind of picture this for you. So, the rules are clear. Here are the rules. We're going to operate on truth. The judgment is inevitable. It's going to be accumulative. It's going to be equitable. It's going to be impartial. It's going to be intensive. And it's going to be incendiary. We're going to get to the bottom of, every, of all of it. There is nothing that's going to be left that's not going to be revealed. Hebrews 4, we, we, we know verse 12 and verse 13 over there talks about and everything will be laid naked before him. Naked, open, no, no covering at all. So the rules are clear. And what begins to happen now is the defense is going to stand and the Apostle Paul is going to stand up because the defense is going to raise an objection. And the judge says, are we clear with the rules? And the Apostle Paul is going to stand as the prosecutor and say, you know, Your Honor, I think man needs to take a minute and think if they really want to approach the court. Do they really want to stand before the judge? Do they really want to take the risk that's laid in front of them? Do they want to take the gamble? And you know what man does? Yep, I do. We want our day in court. We want to listen. We know better than he does. We. And instead of falling on the court begging for mercy after going through the rules, man snubs his nose and says, no, we're going to defend ourselves. And you get a picture of this a little bit in Luke 18. In verse, start in verse number 9. And it's the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. And he's, uh, verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Notice, he speaks this 
with them that trusted in themselves. Luke 18, 9. That they were righteous. He's talking to the religious crowd. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood before God, stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice who he prayed with. Himself. Self-righteous. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. <laughs> well, God, you got a great deal, man, when you got me. Woohoo! Look at what I'm able to do. Look at my credentials over here. I'm better than this guy. Self, that's self-righteous. I can do this better than you can. Watch me. What does the publican do? The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, what did man do? What's man going to do in Romans? He's going to stand up and say, man, you got a good deal when you got me. I can help you out, rather than doing what? Begging for mercy. And that's the wonderful thing about the grace of God. And come back to Romans 2. Paul's laying out here that man, boy, you don't want to mess with the judge. Look at these rules. You don't want to mess with the judge, and yet what does man do? Man says, I can, do, I can argue myself out of any. You, you've heard people like that. They can talk themselves out of anything and into something they shouldn't be in. <laughs> you know. They, they think they can outsmart God. They think they've got it figured out. And Paul's going to, at the end of this, he's going to say, man, you need to shut up and beg for mercy. You need to be pleading mercy. Because God in his wisdom and in his grace has already laid out a way for you to avoid the courtroom, to avoid the judgment. He's already set that out there. He, he thought of doing something that you would have never thought to even ask, and that is for God to send his son to die for you. And all the doctrine, all this doctrine we're going through in Romans, all of it, that wise plan that God had, he set it up. He set up Calvary. He set up the cross work, the finished cross work. He, he looked over there before the found. I, I think about that, before the foundation of the world. If this is Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven, foundation of the world. Way back over here, before the foundation of the world, he said, this is the plan. Son, you're going to go be born of a virgin. You're going to go down there. You're going to have an earthly ministry. You're going to go to Calvary, and you're going to die. But I'm going to resurrect you. You won't stay dead. I'm going to resurrect you. And you're going to stand in the place of man. 
And then I'm going to bring this little dude, this little puny-looking guy over here called Paul. We're going to get him over here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And he lays out the plan. And then the Godhead says, okay, let's go do it. And then he says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the plan was laid to where his son would come and become a petitioner in the court. And the judge would say, do you, you know, I would like to, the son comes in, he says, I'd like to address the court. And he says, do you have any reason for addressing the court? And he says, yes, I do. Put their guilt on me. Put their sin on me. I'll stand in their stead. They are guilty. And you're going to throw judgment and wrath at them. Throw it on, put it on me. I'll take it for him. And when he says it is finished, guess what? The gavel's rung, it is finished. And the issue of sin for humanity is now presented to all of humanity. It's not given to them, it's here's the mechanism. So now as a sinner comes into the courtroom, they can say, hang on a minute, your honor. <laughs> we know the charge, but we like his plea as well. And by faith, trusting in his work, let's plead. the. <laughs> We're guilty, and we like to take a part of the plea deal right there. Simple court procedures on how the judgment of God is going to be dealt out to. It's going to be based on truth. It's going to be based on, it's going to be, that judgment's going to be inevitable. It's coming. It's going to be equal. It's going to be accumulative. It's going to be intensive. It's going to be incendiary. It's going to be impartial. And that's a wonderful thing about it. So the prosecutor sits. Are you in Romans 2? If not, you need to be there. The prosecution sits. The judge says, he says, the prosecution rests. And the judge looks over at the defense table and says, do you have, defense, do you have anything to say? And you know, you know he's got that look in their eye like, you ought to be listening to the petitioner guy. <laughs> but what does the defense do? What does humanity do? They jump up and they say, Absolutely, we have something to say. And oh, by the way, we object to the Apostle Paul calling me a sinner. We object for that. How dare he say, I am a sinner, I'm a good guy. And they begin their objections. And they begin to put on their defense. And it becomes a self-defense that they are going to raise. And there are some defenses that are going to be raised here. Chapter 2, verse number 1. The first argument, the first of the defenses, is going, is going to be, I'm just going to squiggle here, okay? The issue of self-righteousness. That's going to be the first defense. Chapter 2, 1 through 11. He says, O man... Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. 
and they're going to rise up. And they're going to say, I'm not as bad as the prosecution has made me out to be. Back over there in chapter 1, verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication. I never committed unfornication, fornication, un unfornication. <laughs> I've never committed fornication in my life. How dare he lay that to me? Don't you know that I'm better than that? Yeah, but keep reading the list. Wickedness, covetousness, uh-oh. You know? Maliciousness, full of envy, murder. I love this one, debate. We're just having a discussion. No, you're debating. Isn't that interesting? Deceit, malignant, whispers, backbiters. There it is, haters of God. How dare he say that? I didn't do any of those things. How dare the prosecution charge me with these things? I never committed them. Judge, you need to throw it out. Mistrial, mistrial. And yet, really, what are they? They're haters of God. They're despiteful. They're proud. They are boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. See how the charges just kind of mount? <laughs> but his first defense, his first argument is one of self-righteousness. The second one starts here in chapter 2 and starts in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law or a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The second argument is the argument of an ignorance of the law. I didn't know that that law was on the books. What are you talking about? I was ignorant of the law, and man's going to plead that. You know, when, when the father, when the son hung on Calvary's tree and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He knew the law. And he claimed a loophole in there for them for killing him in ignorance and unbelief. That it wasn't murder, because murder would have meant what? That God had to wipe them off the earth right then and there. Kill them all. <laughs> but he claimed manslaughter. You know what man's going to do? I didn't know that was a law. What do you mean there's a sign there that says no right hand turn on red? Don't you know every corner's got to be a right turn on red? Do you know at Mesa in Mesa, at Greenfield in Maine, there's a sign that says no right hand turn on red if pedestrians in crosswalk because there's two, commu two uh, senior homes right there and the folks walk through. And you know they've had, they've had multiple accidents at that intersection for people turning right on red not seeing the seniors, citizens in there. And so, so they put a sign up there. And you know what? 
when I worked at the school bus, we had a bus due. Make a right-hand turn on, on red with someone in the crosswalk, picture taken, and that driver had the audacity to sit there and say, I never saw the sign. You know he lost his CDL because as a commercial driver's license holder, you're supposed to know all that. Actually, they threw in the book at him because they hurt, they, he hurt the individual, the people. Well, I never saw the sign. They just put that up there. And the city guy said, no, that sign's been there for several years. And here's the documentation. And you know what the judge said? Guilty. Pay, pay the clerk. Surrender your license. So guess what we all did in the next safety meeting? Big sign at Mesa, at Greenfield and Maine. Don't go that way. Because there's an apartment complex that we had a stop, a big stop at. 40 kids get on type stop, you know. So in order to get to it, you had to make the right. But what? Wait for the green light. What is man going to do? I didn't know that that was wrong to do that. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that was a crime. Starting verse 17, here's the third one. He's going to cry, immunity. Is it two M's? No, okay, just one. Immunity. I have two written down, that's why I said that. Verse 17, behold, thou art called a, what? A Jew. And restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, all the way down to the end, verse chapter 3, verse number 1. What advantage then hath the Jew? You know what they're going to claim? You know what that religious guy that's standing there, he's going to claim diplomatic immunity. He's going to stand there, and he's going to claim Listen, I have always been on God's side. I went to church. I was baptized the eighth day. I was baptized at three years old into the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church. I was this, I was that. And he's going to pull up his religious stuff. Never did he trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he went to church. He's going to say, I shouldn't be here. I've always been on God's side. I've always been one of the chosen. So he's going to claim immunity. He's going to say, diplomatic immunity, can't charge me. Fourth argument. Isn't that crazy? We're getting worse and worse, by the way, in man's defense. Chapter 3, here is probably the most insane defense of them all, verse 4. Is this fourth argument here about God. And this argument that's going to be raised here in verse number 4, in this part of Romans 3, is the, desper- is the defense of des- disparity. He says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, 
that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and might overcome when thou art judged. They're going to judge God. They're going to look at God and they're going to say, God is unjust, he's unfair, he's a liar. I'm the one telling the truth. That prosecutor lied. He broke the evidence rules. He broke the, the procedures. He's, a, he's the problem. And they're literally going to put the word of God on, judge, on trial. Man is trying to turn the tables. What, God, what kind of God would create evil? To be, even to begin with. God is the one that made me a sinner. Did God make man a sinner? Or did man choose that? Man chose that a long time ago. Go back to the garden. So they're going to say, so you say that. Well, no, back in the garden. Well, then why did God allow Adam to fall then? He could have stopped Adam from eating of that apple. It's not an apple. It's a grape, but... He could have stopped Adam. Why didn't he? He, he you know what? He needs me to be a sinner. Because that's verse 5. See? Why didn't? Why does he let bad things happen to us good people? Why did he let the world continue after the fall? Well, he didn't. What did he do with Noah? He killed everybody but eight people, didn't he? But what, what did man go do? Just, they're made in the likeness of sinful Adam, didn't they? Just went out there and rebelled. We've looked at that in chapter 1, Genesis 11. You see, God's a just God. He's a fair God. He'll give you what you want. God loves free will, volition. He doesn't want robots worshiping him. He wants people worship. He wants his creation worshiping him because they want to worship him. Verse 5, here it comes. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? You see that thing about our unrighteousness does what? Commend the righteousness of God? Verse 6, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? Verse 7, for if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Boy, you know what Paul's saying? You know what man says? Man says, God needs me to be a sinner so he gets bigger and he looks better. The scale of justice, right? The more I sin, the bigger he gets. My unrighteousness. And you know what? He needs me on that wall. He needs me to be a sinner. He needs me to be that way. Because when I sin and I go down and down, he Boy, without me, he, no one would ever see how big God really is. That's why this is the worst one. 
It is that plea of desperation. It's the ultimate delusion. Now, we'll start next week. We'll go through each one where Paul stands and says, here's the rebuttal. Here's the rebuttal. Here's what man's going to say. By the way, have we not heard some of this in our past dealings with man, with sinful men? Oh, yeah. If you don't believe me, just turn on the TV and watch a little news. You see that sinful man just go. And Paul is going to rise. Now you get verse 19, where God says, enough. Enough. And he says, you know what? You're insane, man. You've lost your marbles. <laughs> so you need to shut up. And you're guilty. And here's the judgment. So you have the defense arguments, kind of in an overview. We're going to get the details as we go through now, starting next week in chapter 2. But may, every, everything you can think of in form of an argument that man's going to lay before God is covered in Romans 2 and 3. In, these, in, in, in this, these defenses and then in the rebuttals. Because God is going to operate where? Number one, truth. Here's the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> okay? You know, that's what he's going to do. And when he does it, in the courtroom, guilty, guilty. And again, his son steps forward and says, I will pay the fine. I will pay the fee. I will pay the judgment. The wrath of the indignation of God poured out in that cup when he looked at it. And he says, I'll go do it. And he goes and does it. And dumb thump old mud man over here, dirt man, at man, sit there and says, nope, don't want it, I can do it. And they literally think they have the ability to outsmart God, to out-argue God, and to win the day. And he's just going to say, guilty, guilty, guilty. And as he says that, the prosecution is going to sit there and just hang their head. Because what has Paul done? He's answered every defense's argument as we go through, and he's laid it all out. Okay? So you've got that courtroom kind of in your mind. That's my, the goal. Well, again, we'll start in chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll work our way down through some of this as we go. Because we're, get, try, we're, we're getting to chapter 3, verse 20, <laughs> and 20 and 21. And get on over there in the good stuff. But when it says there that he is the just and the justifier of him that belie which believeth in Jesus. That's chapter 3, verse 26. That's where we're after. Where the judge says, or where the son comes in, the petitioner of the court comes in and says, hold on a minute, let me pay his fine. I was on Facebook. I don't know if you guys see this judge in Providence next uh, 
Rhode, uh, Rhode Island or back there in the East Coast. And he's a mostly traffic court guy, really an older man. Um, and he was reading, he has people who write to him, send money to him. And he had a gentleman in front of him that was a homeless guy, just got homeless, lost his job, all this, living in his car. And he had parking tickets because he's living, you know, can't move. Well, he's got no money. Well, this, this person, individual, had written in a letter that said, hey, you know, you use this money in your best judgment to help somebody. And it was $50 in cash, two 20s and a 10. So the judge dismisses the parking tickets and then reads the guy the letter and hands him the money directly and says, now look, go get you some food. You know, hopefully this will help you. You know, I'm thinking 50 bucks in 2018. How, you know, how far does that really go? But it was... And I thought about that when I, you know, there, there's the letter written by the Lord, and the judge reads it. That gentleman took that money, said, th- he, he did nothing but say thank you all the way out the courtroom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what we say, isn't it? Thank you. The next lady up, she argued him. And you know what he did? He threw the book at her. She had like six parking tickets and three red light violations. It was like 1500 bucks in fees. And she did nothing but sit there and argue with him. And you know what he said? $1,500 pay. Well, I can't afford it. He said, then you should have been quiet and listened to me. And I'm sitting there going, that's what we're seeing right here. What does man do? Argue. And the judge is sitting there going, be quiet, be quiet. Inspector Quinn, what do you think? He said, throw the book at her. Okay, throw the book at her. And I'm sitting there going, holy cow, lady, shut up. <laughs> didn't you see the, just see the video? <laughs> what he just, you know, she didn't, but that's where man is. The Lord says, hey, I'll pay the fee. Here's 50 bucks. Put it on, give it to him. Let him have the blessing. I'll take care of it. And that's what we see. Man just can't get out of, out of, out of the way for himself. What is it? Can't spite the nose on your face or something like that? Think of it. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for what you did for us at Calvary, for, the, for God to accept that and to have faith in your blood, in your shed blood, and make that available as the payment for all of humanity. And then to say that all we have to do is to do nothing but believe you. To believe your work was enough. And we thank you for that simplicity. And we want to give you the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.